0: Okay, so we were finishing the seven seals and there was an intermission that John gave us in chapter seven, an interlude to answer the question, who can stand on the day of the Lord? Because people are frightened by that. And the answer is those who belong to God through Jesus Christ. And so chapter seven gives us that interlude and picture of the day of the Lord. It concludes as we bleed over into chapter eight with the opening of the final and seventh seal, from which burst the seven trumpets. But not before, we're not going to look at the trumpets before the day of the Lord comes to its conclusion with the casting of fire on the earth, and so that that judgment comes to an end. Remember that I think that these are telling the same sequence of events from three different perspectives that John is using the imagery of seals and then of trumpets and then of bowls to describe what happens between Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus' return and the coming in full of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So John now backs up and retells the same events as in the seals, but does so now with imagery from the book of Exodus. The first five trumpets replay the plagues from Exodus chapter 7 through 11. We have hail, blood, poison water, darkness, and demonic locusts. The first one is hail. We have hail and fire mixed with blood. One third of the earth burns, one third of the trees burn, and all the green grass is destroyed. The second one is something like a mountain thrown into the sea, burning with fire. So one-third of the sea turns to blood, one-third of the sea creatures die, and one-third of ships are destroyed. So we have a land disaster with hail and fire. We now have water disaster with the poisoning and contamination of the water that will destroy sea creatures and the natural sea disasters that will destroy man-made things like ships. The third one, our stars fall from heaven. Notice the star is named Wormwood. One third of the waters are poisoned here. Wormwood is an interesting thing. Wormwood has been a name that has cropped up over and over um, in writings, both in scripture and beyond. C.S. Lewis picks up on this idea when he writes his book, The Screwtape Letters, where screwtape A demon named Screwtape and a demon named Wormwood exchange letters as an older, more experienced demon mentors a younger one on how to terrorize, torment, and pull people away from Christ. So it's like an inside look at what's happening. It's one of my favorite books. If you haven't read it, I suggest you pick it up. Okay, the fourth trumpet, excuse me, one third of the sun, one third of the moon, and one third of the stars light. Is decreased. The stars, the moon, and the sun are struck, and light decreases by one third. Days become one third shorter. So, if the days are shorter, there's less light and shorter periods of light. <clears throat> Some people have suggested that this may refer to our pollution of the environment as we um, create pollution and ozone and we contaminate our atmosphere. Um, I don't know that that's what it stands for, but here we have certainly more natural disasters that are impeding our ability to have light, and light and sunlight are important for growth of plants and for health of people. Then in chapter 8, verse 13, we get an interjection that occurs. An eagle cries out between heaven and earth and cries out, Whoa, three times, Woe, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a warning. The next three are worse, much worse than these. So again, we have the repetition of three. Remember the number three is significant in Revelation as well. It's a recurring theme, usually representing the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, as one, and repetition for emphasis effect. So these are going to be much worse. In the fifth trumpet, a star has fallen to earth. Now, star, this star has the key to the bottomless pit, which he opens and smoke billows out of it. The fallen star is almost universally believed to be Satan. Remember in stories alluded to in scripture and only given to us in small tidbits, but further examined in stories that are in the scripture of some of the Jewish people, their deuterocanonical books and what we call extra-biblical literature, we have this idea that Lucifer was the morning star an angel in heaven who led music and worship around the throne of God. His ego got the better of him. He got himself in trouble. God had to kick him out. He takes a third of the angels with him, and they become the demons of the earth, or they contaminate the earth, they, they mate with human women back in Genesis and create a race, the Nephilim, who become the demons who want to see us fall because um, they are jealous of our relationship with God. Um, the pit is often thought to be the abyss. This is where demons reside. Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the pig, excuse me, When Jesus cast the demons out of the Gadarene demoniac, they went into a herd of pigs because they begged Jesus, don't send us back to the abyss. Don't send us back there. They begged not to be sent. So the abyss is the abode of demons when they are not at work on the earth. Smoke pollutes the environment. That's a fitting way to describe um, creation that is tainted by demons. Um, They are not meant to be in creation. And they mess it up when they do. Smoke implies fire in the pit. This is one of the main reasons that that and Jesus use of Gehenna, um, an area that was a, a garbage dump that was usually continually burning as they tried to burn the waste, is why we have this vision of heaven being, or excuse me, hell being fire, just burning fire all the time. From the smoke come locusts. Now they're not regular locusts just eating veg- vegetation, these locusts bite humans. They're trying to eat the humans and not all of the humans, just the ones who don't have the seal of God. So these are things, it could stand for a lot of things, but it could possibly be the things that torment those who don't have faith in God, their worry, their anxiety, their lack of purpose. We don't know of any diseases that are specific to, to people who aren't Christian. Like we the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the believer and the unbeliever. These locusts are given the authority of scorpions. Um unbelievers are not sealed. And so the scorpions scorpions sting and injure, causing pain. Um Troops who invaded areas in the ancient days were often described as like being the like the descending of a swarm of locusts. So there's a lot of imagery put together here. I believe as we journey toward the second coming of Christ and the coming of God's kingdom in full, what we have is that those who don't belong to Christ have more anxiety and worry about that than those of us who do we are able to believe in the goodness of God and the final resolution of all that is happening. This lasts for five months. Some have suggested that the painful sting of the locusts, who are able to sting like a scorpion as well, causes a pain that lasts for five months. I think what we're hearing is about this period of time that is extended less than a year longer than a month or so, but a, a good period of time. It also mentions here that they cannot die or they do not die. Like it's an excruciating pain that they can't stop the pain, but they also can't kill themselves to get away from it. Um, this too parallels some people's descriptions of hell as a place of endless pain and torment that you cannot end. Um, some That's why some people see this as a prelude to the fact that Um, believers will not experience pain, but unbelievers who will be sentenced to hell will be tormented there. That timeline doesn't necessarily line up, but I see where they're getting the picture from. I think it's just talking about how we struggle with not understanding, um, not knowing and believing that there is a God who helps us in the midst of the pain and will eventually bring the pain to an end. We think this is all there is. So all we can do is try to escape from the pain, through whatever pleasure we can because there's no real purpose, but that's not what believers believe. We believe there was a good plan that we've messed up that God will one day set right when he comes in his fullness and brings his justice or his judgment. Okay, chapter 9 verses 7 through 11 describe the locusts and the description of the locusts are an amalgamation of Old Testament images. That come to us from Joel's chapter one, Joel chapters one and two. I'm stumbling over my words a lot today. Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight and Daniel chapter eleven. Finally, we come to the sixth trumpet, and the sixth trumpet releases the four horsemen that came out of the first seal. One third of humans are killed. Two million cavalrymen are seen here, and fire. It's like sapphire or hyacinth, um, sulfur, it's what that probably represents, is red, dark blue, yellow are the colors that we see. So we have fire, sapphire or hyacinth, so purple and sulfur that gives us um, burning um, smells and sulfur, poison, Okay. All right, some have suggested that this is John's attempt to describe battles that would happen with military machinery beyond his day and age. Like, how would he have described if he had seen a tank or an an anti-personnel missile? Like, how would he describe those and they think that's what he's doing. How would he describe helicopters or even catapults, guns, or bombs? Despite all the plagues, despite all of what we've seen in the trumpets here, the nations still do not repent. That's the ongoing story that God is always gracious and loving, sometimes attempting to use the natural consequences of our actions to bring us to repentance trying to do it with love with patience with kindness with natural consequences and all human beings seem to want to do is rebel 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 we can look back at history and see how clearly people should have behaved yet it's really difficult to do when we're standing in the midst of it because sometimes we too are the people who want repent who want turn and they're doing so since john is using imagery from the exodus just like pharaoh They harden their hearts. Their hearts are hardened. They will not repent. They will not turn from these actions. And we see here that God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance. It cannot be forced. We cannot force repentance upon people. They have to come to it. And now we have our second intermission or our second interlude in chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 13. And we see that with the Lamb's scroll. The angel brings the unsealed scroll that has been opened by the Lamb. Like Ezekiel, John is told to eat it and declare its message to the nations. We discover here how God's kingdom will come here on earth. How will it come in its fullness And the content is given to us through two visions. The first vision is a vision of God's temple with martyrs by the altar. They're told to measure and set them apart, or John is told to measure. And it's an image of protection that comes to us from Zechariah chapter 2. Notice that the outer courts of the temple and the city are excluded In these measurements. They're going to be trampled down by the nations. Now, some think this is a literal destruction of the city of Jerusalem, very much like the one that happened in AD 70. Or there are those who think it will happen again in the future. So there's two ways of thinking about that destruction. But there are also people who don't believe this is a literal destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple that most likely he is using imagery of the new temple as a symbol for God's covenant people, like Jesus and the apostles did. So check out 1 Corinthians 3.16, Hebrews 3.6, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. So the temple is a symbol for God's people, believers, believers in Jesus, who are protected from what's happening, no matter death itself cannot destroy us because we ever live in the presence and protection of God. So, it's an image about how Jesus' followers may suffer persecution from the nations, but this external defeat cannot take away the victory that comes to us through the Lamb. But those who don't have that protection, who stand outside of Jesus Christ, find themselves destroyed by the ideas, the ideology, and the practices of the world. Then there's a second image. This idea is expanded on in the second vision. We have two witnesses as prophetic representatives to the nations. Now, some people think that these two are literal prophets, um, Moses and Elijah, Um, But John calls them lampstands. Lampstands have been his clear symbol for the churches. Remember, the churches were represented as the seven lampstands that that he wrote the letters to. And Jesus stands in the midst of them. And these lampstands look like olive trees. So we have two olive trees. One is a symbol for Jesus' followers there And the olive tree has always been a symbol of Israel. Throughout our readings, through Scripture, olives have been a symbol of God's people. And Jesus told us in the Gospels that we who follow him, who even are not of the house of Israel, we are grafted in, that we become part of that. These two witnesses have the, have authority, like Moses over the plagues, And like Elijah, who shut up the rain. So Moses and Elijah, Moses represents the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the establishment of God's people and how they're supposed to live. Elijah represents the prophets, um, a call to repentance because they're failing to live as they were called to do. And then the olive trees graft us into that. So we become part of this story. So most likely, this is about the prophetic role that Jesus saw, who saw himself as coming in the continuation of the law and prophets. He said, I come to not to do away with the law and prophets, but to fulfill it. He saw himself as continuing that call to repentance and faithfulness. And then he turned around and gave that authority to us, to his followers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go make disciples in my name. Um, baptizing them, teaching them to follow all I've taught you, and I'm with you always. So this is speaking about the prophetic role of Jesus' followers who are called to take up the mantle of Moses and Elijah, to call the idolatrous nations and peoples and their rulers to turn back to the one true God. And then we have the beast appearing This is an imagery that comes to us from Daniel chapter 7. The beast conquers the witnesses and kills them. This is what happens to Christians when we stand up. We become either reputationally or figuratively or socially or sometimes physically killed by those who don't want to hear about the justice of God. But God brings them back to life. The church cannot be killed the followers of God cannot be stopped. We keep cropping up. You can stamp this one out, but the church will survive until God comes again. And they are vindicated before their persecutors. The end result is that many will finally repent and give glory to God. So it is sometimes through the very ways that the world turns on us and rejects us as followers of Jesus Christ and the way we respond to that persecution and rejection, that may very well be what brings people to God. And yet sometimes we are so very scared to stand up, to be the people of God, to dare to be different. So let's stop and consider the story so far. God's warning judgments through seals and trumpets, have, do not generate the repentance among the nations that is hoped for. Just like Pharaoh, with the Exodus plagues, they only hardened their hearts. The Lamb, however, conquered his enemies by loving them, by dying for them. And now the Lamb's scroll reveals that the mission of his army, the church, is to do the same that God's kingdom will be revealed when the nations see the church imitating the loving sacrifice of the lamb, not killing their enemies, but dying for them. This is why I believe Christians have it so wrong right now as we try to take over governments. We try to push agendas of Christianity through worldly means when what the world needs is to see us imitating the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our lamb. God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers is what will actually bring the nations to repentance. And this claim is the message of the scroll, and it is placed at the very heart and center of the book of Revelation. And yet so often when we study and look at the book of Revelation, we miss this and misinterpret it. I'm going to pause right here, even though, well, all right, let's cover the seventh trumpet before I end, even though that was a great place to end. And finally, after all of that and this intermission just like we saw an intermission or an interlude before the seventh seal, we had an intermission or interlude before the seventh trumpet. And now, in chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh trumpet sounds finally, and the nations are shaken. God's kingdom comes on earth in its fullness. It comes on earth as it has been in heaven. This is accompanied by singing and worship. The time for justice has arrived judgment and reward that are parts of justice. In verse 19, the elements are back in the temple. Remember, they were toted away way back during the Babylonian exile. King Cyrus let them bring them home, but here they are representative of God's presence. The God's kingdom has come in full. God's residence is back in his temple among his people. Remember, we're all temples. were all a temple of God. God is now residing with us and all is as it should be. Now we know how the church will bear witness and inherit this new creation, the question that has been the big question since we started the journey. But who, who is the terrible beast that waged war on God's people? How will this whole story turn out? And for that, We have to wait for the second half of the book of Revelation. So we've seen letters to the seven churches, a vision of God's throne room. We've had the seven seals that ended with God's coming And his day of the day of the Lord. We've seen the seven trumpets, which once again tell us the story and the coming of the day of the Lord. We're going to have one more series of seven and answer the final questions about the beast and what that final picture looks like in the second half of Revelation.